What are the secrets of those extraordinary individuals that have achieved extraordinary success? Listen to their stories, discover their knowledge bursts, make those connections. Get ready. It's time to start moving forward. John Lim here, and we're moving forward today with Dr. Robert Salaya, a pharmaceutical scientist turned social entrepreneur. He is the co-founder of American MedCam Nonprofit Corporation, which has as its core mission to provide targeted and personalized medicines for children afflicted with rare and neglected diseases. How are you today, Robert? I'm doing well. Thanks, John. Great to be with you. Oh, no. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to have you on the show. You know, you and I connected on several social media platforms, and I've just been following what you've been doing with MedCam and just so excited to share your story and your mission with our listeners. So I only gave a very, very brief overview. Tell us a little bit about your background and how it led to you founding American MedCam Nonprofit Corporation. Great. Yeah. So I'm trained as a PhD in uh, synthetic organic chemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds esoteric, but uh, it's essential training actually to work in the pharmaceutical industry in yes. the drug discovery area. And uh, I have been in the industry for about 18, 19 odd years. Uh, I enjoyed every every bit of that because uh, what the opportunity to take what you learn and apply to practical things like creating medicines uh, it, to me is, is very gratifying. And so, uh, as I said, uh, you know, I've worked in seven different companies over the 18, 19 year period, uh, worked in six different diseases. Uh, I've kind of seen the whole spectrum. I rose from the bench, uh, working sort of in the trenches, so to speak, and up to management level. Ultimately, uh, when I finished up, uh, I was running a group of about 200 uh, chemist working on uh, drug discovery uh, in a in an outsourced facility in India, providing drug discovery ser- services for uh, you know clients in the U.S., Europe, and Japan. Right, so uh, it's fantastic experience, and and that is what led me to American MedCam. Yeah. If you, if I might say, uh, an aha moment was. Uh, not a failure as such, but a realization. I asked the question in these 18 years, I had never seen a project for pediatric medicine. Mm, and I simply asked the question, why not? Yeah. Right? Uh, dug a little bit deeper, and then I realized for common diseases like asthma and allergy and various things, we take adult medicines and give it to children, reformulated sugar syrup, whatever it is. Uh, but when it comes to serious diseases like cancers and rare diseases, there's nothing being done uh, particularly directed to children's bodies, right? And children's bodies are developing, as you know. Right. We take adult medicines there, too, and cancer chemotherapy was created for adults, and we give the children, and we damage their bodies. Uh, when you ask the question a little bit deeper, and, and you're diving in deeper, I, I realize the system of drug discovery uh, industry has failed these children because uh-huh. there are no market drivers, Each of these children's diseases is a small population of children, uh, which is insignificant for a a robust uh, market-driven pharmaceutical industry. So the technology is there. uh, The need is there. There is no market driver. And that's when I came to this realization, when market systems fail, uh, how do we serve? It has to be philanthropy, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that was sort of the founding premise for American MedCam because the technology is available uh, and uh, and uh, we know uh, that the need is there. Uh, so we had to stitch together a model and, uh, and the model that we came up with was what I call a non-profit biotech company. 
many of our listeners, you also might know, John, the, uh, the biotech model is, is prolific. Uh, they address uh, various uh, diseases and they start up, you know, create a technology, mm-hmm. sell, uh, go public in a yeah, number and, of and ways, the, right? The All the commercial property. biotech. Yeah, I, have a, yeah. I have a lot of friends who've worked in biotech and in pharma. So, yeah. So, so right. talk a little bit about this. I mean, you had a, a very, very... Uh, you know, very stable, lucrative career as a pharmaceutical scientist. And as you mentioned, you know, you work for several major companies. So what was it? I mean, you asked a question, which I love that, that aha moment that you're sharing. And, you know, and on this show, we talk a lot about career and individual failures. But what I love about what you're sharing is you discovered a market failure. And what was it like for you to leave behind uh, you know, being an employee, being a pharmaceutical scientist, and turning into a social entrepreneur was that a very was that a hard transition for you to make? Um, uh, yes and no is the answer. Hard in the sense that it's always difficult to leave behind security, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and it's it's hard to get into the unknown, and it was totally an unknown because you know many have asked me why on earth are you doing this, right? Yeah. Uh, and and many ask me, have you lost a child? Do you have a sick child? Honestly, John, this is the funny part. I don't have a child, mm. right? So I mean, I, I look at it as simply, from as a technologist, uh, I ask the question, how can we serve these children, right? Yeah, it is essential. The the greatest suffering here, John, I think the driving force was this. I could relate to this. The greatest suffering for a parent is to carry a sick child to a doctor and get a diagnosis, and the doctor will turn around and say. This is the disease, but we don't have any medicine, right? Yeah, yeah. That is the feeling of helplessness. And and who can create medicines? It was my question. Who parents can't create medicines? Doctors don't create medicine. It's pharmaceutical researchers who create medicines, right? Yeah. And that's the way I looked at it, and I that that's what gave me a, a lot of. Uh, um, strength uh, to go forward, I would say. We founded uh, the rudiments of the company we incorporated in 2010. It has taken me uh, a good uh, good six years to stitch it all together. And now 2017 is a big year for us, uh, what I call the launch year. So the, the we have been under the radar for, for this time, uh, stitching a good board members together, good advisors together, knowledge sourcing to bring all these people together. Because I wanted the foundation to be well founded sure. on the on the principles of the social enterprise and and service, right? So and that that's how it has come about. Um, the difficulties are what I mean. My dad taught me this. I'm going to share this with you. Yeah, I mean, please. <laughs> this is a great little thing that I always carry with me in my hip pocket. Uh, human beings are like tea bags. He say when you put them in hot water, the essence comes out. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I carry that with me because a startup biotech is like you're in hot water all oh, the time. I, I know. And, and that's why I was I'm so curious because not only did you start a biotech, but you did it on the nonprofit model. And yeah. it's it's very I mean it's I mean everything that you're doing from your mission to the model that you're using is you're essentially being a pioneer. I mean, and pioneer will involve a lot of unknowns. So yeah. what was that like for you? Talk a little bit about what were some of the early challenges in in starting this up. Well, early challenges is, you know, um, 
you know, I was very familiar with the biotech model itself, mm -hmm. right? So I, I knew how it is put together, how technology is licensed in from academia, academic uh, researchers, and uh, there's an initial money transaction, then the technology is developed and there's an exit, a sale, whatever it is, right? So that model, we couldn't do that because we cannot take money right. up front to a uh, university and say, here's $5 million, I'm going to buy your technology. Um, so we put together a collaborative model. So that was a challenge. I had to, I had to do a little bit of unscientific market survey talking to various academic groups that I knew and I realized their own need. Imagine this, John, uh, a very, very powerful realization for me along this path was this. A faculty member who is working on a pediatric rare disease mm -hmm. for which there is no market. There is a need, but there is no market driver, right? Right. Works on this, gets NIH funding, you know, gets uh, you know various other grants and things like that, and they're developing this uh, biology behind this disease, and they come to a stage uh, and realize, I have no path to take this to the clinic. Hmm. All biological discoveries have to be validated ultimately in a patient population in the clinic. Yeah. That's how medicines come out, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so if you think of the drug discovery and development process as a four by 400 meter relay, the first stage of that relay has to be completed, which is biology. Then comes the drug discovery and the preclinical stages. And then comes uh, the FDA approval and marketing and various things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Clinical and FDA approval and things. So these, these biology researchers, and academia, just, just, a, just a random example is, is – they create this technology, they discover this biological pathway, and they hold on to it with nobody to carry it forward. Yeah, hmm. That is where typically uh, industry would come in and license. So we thought, if we go and license this pediatric technology, not license, but a collaboration, right? The biologist continues to do the collaboration, AMC will do the drug discovery, we'll work together and take this ball together because ultimately the satisfaction for a biology discovery person is to see their technology in the clinic and approved perhaps, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so the collaborative model was very important for us and, uh, and I had to describe this very carefully to people whom I'm going to work with. I mean, right now I'm doing the business development work and, and I'm, I'm pleased to say I'll make some official announcements down the road, but there is traction. People like this model because sure. yeah. uh, one, one uh, uh, institute asked me the question, are you really going to collaborate with us? Are you serious? I had to tell them, yes, it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So this is this is the thing. But ultimately, uh, all that we do is collaborative, John, when you think about it. I mean, you and I are talking, we are collaborating. You know? Absolutely. So I Absolutely. totally believe in collaboration. So I had to ground that in the reality of, of American MedCamp. That collaboration is going to be key. We have a social enterprise, and there is a, there is a sustainability model built in the back end of it, which is we will look to industry to participate in the back end licensing, right? Yeah. So if they can license a program for which they think they can sell and make some money, uh, they might do that, and we might get a licensing revenue stream of whatever, maybe a modest amount. But for a nonprofit, for us, if you have three or four such uh, revenue streams, we are becoming uh, going towards the goal of being self-funded. And I want AMC to be a, be a sustainable, self-funded, scalable model doing this for kids because there are 7,000 such diseases and about 20 million children in the U.S. are there, John. And, and 
95% of these diseases, there are no medicines, right? So we are breaking new ground in terms Absolutely. of creating but medicines for these. Not only that, two. in the model and the collaborative model in so many different ways. I mean, Robert, so talk a little bit about that. I mean, you said you started in 2010. I mean, it's a long journey, yeah. seven yeah. years. Was there a moment for you when you realized, okay, this model really is is the way to go. I mean, did you ever have any doubts about that? Because, you know, obviously there must have been challenges along the way. And talk a little bit about when you realize, okay, this is where things are really getting aligned with our mission. Mm. Good point. Uh, thing is, you know, when you when you take this out there, people look at it and they have comments, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I also learned in graduate school that opinions are like navels. Everybody has one. <laughs> yeah. You have to listen to them, but do you take them is the question. Right. Right? So, <laughs> I remember <laughs> I that. Like that. People have, yeah, because when people look at it, they say, oh, my gosh, it's too difficult. What are you going to do if you don't get funding? And all these kinds of questions come up. Uh, but the thing was that I believed in the technology. I believed in the reality that technology is the only one that can solve this problem. Uh, now, philanthropy has always come into the medical field uh, to with hospitals and clinics and various things like that. So that was something new. Um, I didn't want to go. So I had a lot of pressure at the early stages of founding the company to go via the venture philanthropy model, which you know, which is very, very common, popular. Mm-hmm. But I realized there is no way I can, with a good sense tell an investor, a philanthropic investor, I can give you 3% return on your income, right. on your investment. I couldn't, with a, with a straight face, do that, right? Yeah. So why, why tell lies? I said, let's do philanthropy. So that transition was a little difficult because uh, there, was, there was some pushback, go towards venture philanthropy. But as what I realized was this, the market system itself is not working, uh, if you go in the venture philanthropy direction, uh, we'll be picking projects which are which can only guarantee a return. Exactly. Yeah. We are back in the same cycle. Yeah. So like Einstein said, you can't solve the problem at the same level of consciousness that created that problem. You have to go to the next level of consciousness to, to solve exactly. the problem, right? Yeah. You have to build the engine from the ground up, and I, I love that. Right, that, right, so. right. Yeah. So we kind of, in a way, we rigged, we rigged the biotech chassis mm-hmm. with the collaborative, nonprofit, philanthropic, you know, crowdfunding, knowledge sourcing model. I think it's a delightful model, and I, I can't wait to see projects launched in 2017 and, and deliver some compounds to the clinic because the scalability is also there because we can collaborate with multiple researchers at universities. I love it. Absolutely you know? love it. And and it's such a disruptive model, and I think it's going to – I'm just excited to see what comes out of this in 2017 and beyond. So thank you so yeah. much for sharing that, Robert. Well, are you ready for the Knowledge Burst session? Yes. All right. Well, this is one of my favorite parts of the show. I'm really excited to ask you, Robert. So, you know, as someone who has done so many different things in his career, you know, from being in uh, pharmaceutical science to now being a social entrepreneur, can you pick a particular inspirational source? And a source, I will expand it out. Usually I ask for a media resource. It could be a movie, a book, a cultural experience. But because you've done so many different things, you may have had inspirational mentors as well. Has there been one particular source or experience that has inspired you to move forward? Uh, yes. I, can I give you two? Yes. Go for <laughs> it. One is, is this book called Infinite Vision. 
this is a book about how uh, A-R-V-I-N-D, Arvind Ike in India, originated because this eye doctor realized that poor people had no access to eye care. Mm. He started this in his own home doing, you know, small surgeries and various things like that. And today it's a self-funded, self-sustaining, a true social enterprise with a service model, uh, it, reaching millions of people all over the world. And this book is just fantastic. I mean, it just it was just right in my sweet spot. And, you know, when you're going through all those questions, you wonder this, that, or the other, and this book just lands on my lap. And it was recommended to me at the right time, I feel. So that was a, that was a great, uh, great uh, sustenance. Uh, and I keep it on my desk, and I look at it, I read it. Uh, and anybody who's interested in social enterprise in the, in the service sector should read this, I oh, think. That's my recommendation. Share. What's the second But one? no, John, the second thing is I should, if I, if I have some time. Yes, is go for it. These children who are very sick and dying have left messages for us which are very powerful. One such child is, is, is just one child. There are so many. Uh, is Gabriella Miller. In 2013, she died, and AMC was at its infancy. And she, before she died, in the last year of her life, she just said this on, on YouTube. You can go find it. She said, if I go, if I lose this battle, I want others to fight this war, and they're going to win this war. Wow. Look at the power. There's no emotion there. It's very objective, right? Yeah. She left a piece of work for us. And she left hope for us that we will win the war. So I kind of dedicate this work to that. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's such a beautiful share. Well, Robert, share if you have one. Do you have a favorite app, website, or it could be a productivity practice that's been a benefit for you as a social entrepreneur? Yes. uh, uh, Twitter has been very, very uh, helpful for me. And uh, I use Twitter effectively, I would oh, say. Yeah, I had you no are training. great on Twitter. And I have to Am ask I? you, I mean, when you were, is Twitter something that you took to, uh, you know, naturally or was it a challenge for you? I'm always curious because I'm still, I feel like I'm still learning Twitter and I really feel like it's a <laughs> wonderful platform. But I feel like people fall into one of two camps. They're either all in on Twitter or they just kind of resist it completely. I love it. Yeah. I love Twitter. Yeah. No, it's my mom was an English language teacher, and so I had to kind of adjust my brain to write 140 (laughs) characters. She would slap me silly, right? Yeah. I wrote words as I, as I no, do you now. Are, you are awesome on Twitter. And actually, Robert, I, I, I was wondering if you could share with our listeners, do you have a best practice for making the most out of your Twitter presence? Yes. I, you know, uh, as you're building this uh, Twitter base for AMC, um, I have been uh, using lists. So I categorize people who have expressed interest in AMC uh, into like helpers, science, you know, things like that. And I go to those people, uh, Twitter, and, uh, and ask for their help. Like if I have an article that I put out, oh, I, I go and it. tell them, can you please retweet them? And I do it individually, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, and uh, it takes, it's kind of old fashioned in a new technology. But honestly, there's still that one on one marketing, which is very powerful. Yeah. And Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about that. I mean, the technology has, has changed, but yeah. the, the way you connect with people, that's always going to go back to that small town model yeah. of one on one. And exactly. I love it. And actually, that's I, a I'm really totally good with share. that. Yeah, that's a great share of actually. I never thought of using lists. And I love that. Uh, I love that idea of crowdsourcing questions that you may have uh, with those specific groups of people. So great, great shares. Hey, moving forward listeners, you can find links to many of the books and resources mentioned by today's guest 
along with offers to try out Audible and Amazon Prime. These are affiliate links for which I receive a small commission, which helps the podcast and is greatly appreciated. You can find these on the write-up for today's episode at bemovingforward.com. Robert, are you ready to do a little time travel? Sure. All right. We're going to step into our time machine, and I want you to go back, and you can pick any time frame you like, maybe at the start of finding AMC, founding AMC, or maybe back when you were in your, your uh, you know, research science days and you just came across that question. What is one piece of advice that you would give to your past self that would have been really beneficial then? Be fearless. Mm, That's be, it. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Now, is this something that uh, you feel like you had a challenge with in your early days, or is this just something that you're just reminding yourself of? Um, It it is a challenge. You know, we are, by the way that our systems work, we are conditioned to doing what we know how to do. Yeah. As soon as you step into something that you have not done before, which is entrepreneurship, solving problems, uh, there is fear, right? You have to overcome that fear if you want to be successful. I love so it. it was an effort, but you put it into practice, you remind yourself, you work towards it. Every time fear comes, you stare at it and you say, let it go. Yeah. So, <laughs> Very good. Well, here's the I, flip I side. I truly advise people to become fearless because you'll become massively resourceful when you're fearless. Oh, right? I, I can't agree more. But here's the flip side. How do you think your younger self would have reacted at that time? Forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing what I know how to do. I love it. I absolutely love the candor. Well, Robert, how can our listeners connect with you and find out about all of the great work that you're doing? Yes. uh, I mean, Twitter is great. We have uh, at American MedChem, one word. uh, That's that's American MedChem handle. I have a personal handle, which I truncate my Robert as R-O-B-T, Salaya, uh, handle. Um, And uh, on our website, there's... uh, there's an email link that you can you can connect with me there too, and and uh, I would appreciate connecting with people who are interested in this and philanthropists who are out there who are listening, perhaps, or who know philanthropists who may be interested in pediatric medicine, uh, to connect with us. Absolutely, and we'll have all of that on the write up. Well, Robert, I want you to close out the show. So, using no more than three to five words, what parting wisdom would you like to pass on to moving forward listeners? Parting wisdom would be this, uh, John: cultivate. A sense of inclusivity. Mm, I love it. Cultivate a sense of inclusivity. Wonderful, wonderful way to conclude this conversation. Robert, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us today to share your story and the story of American MedCam Nonprofit Corporation. I encourage all of our listeners, check it out, learn more about the work that Robert's doing. Robert, thank you so much. Thank you very much, John. I really appreciate your, your interest. Absolutely. And moving forward, listeners, remember you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Be Moving Forward. Join us next Tuesday for another extraordinary guest. Have a great week. And remember, always be moving forward. Now it's time for you to move forward and unlock the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and Bali Solutions, LLC. All rights reserved.